You're listening to Coach Talk, a podcast about coaching for improvement in health and social care. Here you will meet several international experts and coaches to discuss challenges, opportunities, models and tools that might be useful when you coach others to make improvements. Hello all the people who are listening to our coach podcasts. Um, I'm still in Jönköping and we still have nice and sunny weather and it's the last day of our microsystem festival. It's called the Scientific Day. My name is Nicolien Wackerberg and I'm a senior development leader at Cultura. And in our studio we do have Brent Oliver from Darkness. Um, tell me a little bit about you, your context, your experience and... Sure. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, I am an assistant professor at the Dartmouth Institute for Health Policy and Clinical Practice at uh, Dartmouth College. That's in New Hampshire in the United States. Um, I am trained academically as an epidemiologist and healthcare improvement scientist. Um, in the field of healthcare improvement science, I focus on merging traditional scientific approaches with improvement methods. Oh, wow. So that's my area of, of uh, academic work. Um, as a clinician, I'm trained as a nurse practitioner, and I practice and I'm uh, in multiple sclerosis as a neurobehavioral specialist. So I do a lot of medical psychiatric uh, type work and chronic illness. So you're very talentful. Uh, diver diverse pathway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> to, it is. to where I got um, in in the improvement world. I function as a researcher, but also as a methodologist. Uh, so I am often brought in to either help teach coaches about improvement measurement and assessment and how that relates to improvement work or to prepare future teachers to do that role in uh, coaching groups or in collaboratives. Okay, we are very happy to have you here in the studio. Um, the, the theme of the Microsystem Festival is sustainability today um, and your expertise is in measurements and assessments. How, how does that relate to sustainability, do you think? Well, uh, probably in a lot of ways. I think in the most basic way um, the fundamentals that coaches work on with improvement teams um, are essential, uh, especially in understanding the linkage between an aim of improvement work, uh, the context in which that work is occurring, and then how whether uh, the assessment of whether a change is an improvement uh, is developed. And that assessment approach includes the measures and yes. the analytic strategy. Um, and the ability to use basic improvement measurement approaches to make those assessments. And many improvement coaches are quite good at helping teams with this, and others need some development in that area. Um, when uh, we're focusing on sustainability, I think teams need that capability to begin with, because the assessment of improvement performance is critical in order to determine whether sustainability has been achieved. Yes. So we use a, a, a simple example. Let's say that we're trying to improve um, the amount of time a person's waiting to get into an appointment. And it starts out at a certain average, let's say that it's 30 days. And we're measuring the weekly average wait times for people. And through the work of the improvement team that's being helped with a coach, there is a reduction in the amount of time people need to wait down to about 10 minutes on average. And we're looking at the variation over time using run charts yes. or very simple statistical process control charts. Especially when we use statistical process control, we can determine 
A, if the improvement actually happened in a significant way. Yes. And then B, if the new process is in statistical control. If it is, it could be said to be sustainable. And that's where it connects, I think, to this topic. Uh, what we see often in improvement work is an initial improvement effect, and then it drops off for some reason. Without a good assessment method, you may miss that you have lost sustainability mm -hmm. if you don't continue to monitor over time. So how long do you do you want them to measure? Because sometimes people say, oh, we have so many measurements, take away some measurements. So, so when are you saying it's okay to take away this measurement and we take in some other? Sure. Um, this is a very context-specific decision. Um, so I, I'm often hesitant. Others would make a, a, a very categorical statement. Well, don't measure for more than one year or don't measure for more than six months. My answer is it depends on the aim and depends on the context. Yes. Um, certainly with improvement measurement, the rule of thumb is to measure only as long as you need to to, <laughs> to achieve your yeah. aim. Now, let's say in this hypothetical example, maybe that would be helpful, that it took us three months to get to our goal. Yes. And we got to 10 minutes, and we have maintained that. There is no special cause variation mm -hmm. after we achieve that goal. And we observe this for uh, another three to six months. And that gives me now more than 12 total points in the chart. Statistically speaking, that's long enough to say that I've got basic sustainability oh, in this right. new process. Yeah. At that point, the team could then deliberate as to, do I want to continue monthly measurement or do I start shifting to audit measures where I might do quarterly? Okay, so you don't fade it out, but you do it not so often. Yes, yes. And uh, But uh, if you then do it not so often, maybe quarterly, and then maybe once a year, or, or say, do you say, no, keep it quarterly? Uh, I think it depends on the priority of the metric. Yeah. So let's say that this wait time is a critically important thing for the, the policy of the region and for the context under study. It may be important enough that you continue to monitor quarterly for quite some time. Yeah. If it is a process measure that's related to a bigger goal and you achieve that goal and you no longer need that process measure to inform your work, it may be that that measure could drop out. Yeah, yeah. The important part is to make the decision, and I think only the team could do so, yeah. uh, given what they know about the context, uh, as to when to make that change. Mm. If, if I hear you talk, it, it sounds like that everybody can understand and analyze a statistic process control charts. Is that real life? Um, not without training. Yeah. Um, however, the, there have been methods developed to help coaches and frontline teams learn this fairly easily. So for example, you don't need to be a statistician or an analyst to use the type of statistics we're talking about. They're very visually oriented, so you don't need to have software to use them. Um, and with the help of a coach who's been trained, you could do it. Okay, okay. Um, so, um, and where should you start? Should you, is it okay with just an Excel and just just some points and then see how it's going and then later on when you get more mature you you make this or do you say no you have to have your statistic process control in place um, there are varied opinions on this i'll give you mine yes um, i think something simple done well is usually better than something very sophisticated that is not done well consistently 
So I would advise for people that are doing it for the very first time yes. to start with a very simple run chart. These can be done by hand. Yeah. You don't need software. They're easy to learn. And they're very powerful. You can yeah. actually pick up special cause variation with them. They're not as sensitive or as predictive as statistical process control charts, but they're a wonderful place to start. And I would recommend teams start there and make sure that they've got a firm grasp of that. And once they feel comfortable, they could then go on to the SPC. Yeah, you were talking about the whole team, which, which um, means that the whole team should understand everything. Well, I would say that that may not be required. Now, I think if they've got a good conversational understanding, such as what are the basic special cause signals? What am I looking for in these charts? If everybody on the team can understand that part, it may be that one or two people on the team that have a specific interest in measurement or skill in that area could be the go-to people. Okay, to okay, yeah. I think that's a good idea that you have somebody or two people in your team. Uh, yeah, I think also it's good to have two people so that they can discuss uh, and that you don't feel alone. Yeah, yeah, that's great. It can also be helpful if there's if it's a collaborative type approach with many coaches. Yeah. One or more coaches may specialize in measurement and be a go-to resource for teams. Yeah, yeah. Do you have an open line that the coaches can phone you that, oh, now we are struggling? Or how, how do you do? How, how is your... Um, depends on the situation I'm working in. Um, say, for example, with the Dartmouth Microsystem Academy, if I'm working within that structure, it's part of the program that they have uh, accessibility to the faculty. Okay. In um, other programs, such as the postdoctoral fellowship program I supervise, we have a monthly uh, case review session where we do teaching of advanced topics, but also people can come and present cases. And so a team might come and say, well, you know, here's what I'm measuring, and, you know, I think we have an improvement, but I'm not sure if it's sustainable. Can we take a look at it together? And make some measurement decisions. Okay, so the monthly meeting, I have heard that from several people today, uh, but this open line, do they use it? That, that Are they phoning you? Um, for, uh, in general? Yeah. Uh, depends on the program. Okay. Um, in programs where I have actually trained frontline measurement coaches, yeah. I'm finding that I'm not needed very often, which oh. to me is a sign of success. Wow. If I've prepared the faculty in the front line, yeah. they're able to answer the questions. I feel that <laughs> I've achieved my mission. Yeah. Um, so now in those settings, I find that I'm used for complex questions or if extra support is needed. In other cases where that capability doesn't exist, I'm utilized a fair bit more. And I'll get questions by email or requests for office hour calls, things yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, in the postdoctoral fellowship, we now have people requesting case reviews from even outside the fellowship. So we have people from, I think we added someone from the UK last last time, and um, I think we may have a few from Young Sherping joined in the future. Um, and the fellows love that because it's outside of their usual zone, and it also is good for the people bringing cases because it's a fresh eyes look. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Case. So you are having a, some kind of learning network? Yes. And it's it's open? It sounds like it's just open. People can just join in and say, I have a case. Yeah. I would like. They have to contact me and yeah, ask uh, to present. I have to make sure there's enough slots for people to present. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But otherwise, yes, any, anybody can participate. Wow, wow. That's wonderful. Wonderful opportunity. That's nice. So back to the sustainability. Okay, we are in the measurements and, and we, we understand our run charts and we understand our statistical process charts. 
is there something else that we need to have in place to 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 build sustainable change? Well, I think you know, and and uh, in our work together, Margie and I have this cute debate about every number has a story and every story has a number. Yeah. Um, quantitative data is essential, um, mm. and but it's not everything. Oh. Um, I think a qualitative component to the assessment, the understanding of what we call the lived experience of improvement, is critically important. Uh, it can detect a lot of things that quantitative analysis can't. And do you have some kind of favorite method to a qualitative method? Um, I personally don't. Um, many qualitative folks do. Um, my rule of thumb is choose the method that is practical okay, uh, yeah. and reasonably rigorous to detect what you're trying to find. Yeah, And yeah. it could be grounded theory, it could be a semi-structured approach. Um, you may not need something with research rigor uh, to function well for improvement. It could be something a little less rigorous but is more flexible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you are using focus groups or like Focus that? groups can be helpful. Um, and individual interviews can be helpful. Um, some combination of the two. Mm -hmm. Mixed method. Yes. Yes, as everybody yeah. says. Um, another thing in Darkness that you are famous for is the co-production. Um, you started for a long time ago, I think. If you Actually, can I make one other comment about yeah? sustainability? Of course. Just because it's the primary focus. There is one other thing where, um, from the measurement perspective, might be worth considering. Yes. Um, and this has happened with some of the, the fellows I've supervised. And check your results, and you have not yet seen a statistically significant result. Somebody runs a t-test, or somebody runs a correlation, and they say, well, we, we don't have a significant p-value. Mm. We should stop this work. Uh -huh. But in the SBC analytics, we see a special cause variation, which means there may be a very early onset of the improvement effect. Yeah. And so the, the only reason I bring that up is don't be too quick to let go of the improvement effort too soon. Yeah. Especially if in the measurement approach you start to see some special cause variation, even if you haven't reached the goal yet. It may mean that you need to sustain a little longer. Yeah. And if you do that, you'll reach your goal. Uh, many improvement efforts cut off their funding and cut off their time too soon. Yeah, but on the other hand, I, I completely agree. On the other hand, also people say it takes time to change and it takes time. So. You should, you should not stop too early, but you should not go on too long as well. So how can we find that balance? Well, you know, there's many perspectives on this. From a measurement perspective, using variation analytics, if you have a baseline period that has at least 12 observations, yes, that could be 12 weekly observations, and you have a follow-on period that has at least about 10 observations, you have enough time to determine whether you've had a significant effect. Okay. So if you've got enough of a baseline before your improvement effort, and then you start your improvement effort and you have 12 more observations, that'll be enough to detect whether you're going to pick up a special mm -hmm. cause variation signal. Mm -hmm. So you've got to wait long enough to pick that up, but you may not need to wait much longer than that. Because mm -hmm. as you're alluding to, we don't have infinite time and resources. No, uh, we are also um, educating master students and they, they want to do their improvement work and they want to do it yeah, in one year and then you tell them, you know, there needs to be a baseline. And now you said you need to be 12 weeks of baseline. Mm. Um, they would say, well, we don't have the time to do the baseline mm -hmm. properly. 
So how would you coach them? Sure. Um, improvement work, I often use the phrase, perfect is the enemy of good. Uh, yeah. um, and we're not, for research, there are certain constraints we have to pay attention to. Yeah. In improvement, we can relax some of those constraints a bit. And we're going to lose a little rigor with that. However, we need to make it practical yeah. or else we'll be paralyzed yeah. improvement. Yeah. Um, so instead of weekly observations, you could do 12 consecutive observations. And maybe it only takes you two weeks to get those 12 observations. Yeah, so you do 12 days or 12, something like yeah. that. Yeah. 12 or, or 12 patients, maybe? 12 patients, 12 days. Um, in some cases, 12 hours. Okay. If you get separate observations each hour. The important part is that you have these separate time-ordered observations. All right. Okay. So you can play with the interval a little bit. Yeah. Now, when you do that, you lose a little bit of the scope, but maybe that's an acceptable limitation. Yeah. If yeah. you need to move faster. Yeah. 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 That's very helpful. I think that's very helpful. Thank you. Can we go back to the co-production? Sure. Is that okay? Yes. Um, because I know you have a lot of expertise there and um, experience. So so. Um, if you go back to Darkmouth for maybe three years ago, four years ago, what, what happened with your co-production and, and where are you heading? Sure. Well, right now we're in the middle of a debate over the term itself. Uh-huh. All right. <laughs> um, uh, and maybe it doesn't make sense for this interview to, to, to get into that, but the idea of the shift of thinking from healthcare is producing a product yeah, yeah. or delivering a, something from us to a patient mm -hmm. towards a co-created co-designed, co-delivered, co-evaluated service was the big shift. Mm. Um, and I think uh, there's, there's been work here as well uh, that has been headed in that direction for some time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think uh, across different countries, we're beginning to realize that there is a limit to production-based thinking and mm. improvement. Mm -hmm. The idea of working more for less. Yeah. And that standardization and efficiency are the only thing that matters we're finding that not so, mm -hmm. and it's not working, mm -hmm. and it's not sustainable. So the, the idea behind co-production thinking has been to kind of blow up that whole model and say, well, if we wanted to create a sustainable, better healthcare world, how would we do that? And it's more than just creating a world of healthcare delivery. It's about creating better health. Yeah, and that that re reframed the Dharma thinking in a, in a big way, um, even for some of the central theorists that came up with microsystems theory. Mm -hmm. right? uh, microsystems theory is very production focused yeah. in many ways, but it has the potential to evolve, and I think co-production is an evolution of that. Yeah, and and in the original microsystem thinking, the patient was one of the microsystem, but it, it disappeared somewhere. But now it's back again. Yeah. So so. Originally, it, we were thinking like co-production, but we didn't do it. So now That's maybe it's say. now it's maybe no. the spot is on. At least in the in the idea of the five P assessment, yeah, that was perhaps where it was strongest in yeah. the microsystem model. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then when it moved into the improvement ramp, it started to look a little bit more production like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that was that's okay. It had some strength there, but now we've realized the limits, and other methods have as well. Lean Six Sigma, very production-oriented yep. thinking, and very helpful. I'm a Lean Six Sigma practitioner, and I, I think it's helpful in certain places. Um, and we need to go further. And, yeah, uh, yeah. The idea of, of uh, co-production, I actually like the term co-creation better. Yeah. Um, 
really gives us the idea of actually designing a whole different idea of what quality and value is. Yeah. yeah. When we talk about improving quality in the past, that's been improve your efficiency, improve your outcomes, improve your productivity. Yeah, but who is, who is defining quality? Yeah. That's always the question. And for me, you know, I work with Esther. So for me, it's always what's best for Esther. Yeah. So, so the question who's defining quality, it is your patient or it is your client or it is yeah. the name of the person there. Yeah. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, I'm working, I'm a co-PI uh, co on an international study now with Paul Batalden, which mm. is such a thrill, uh, where we're trying to get at that. Yeah. Um, how do we, in the modern healthcare era, redefine value with a co-production lens or a co-creation lens? Co-creation, yeah. Um, and it's probably, probably the patient can't entirely define it, him or herself, but the healthcare system can't either. It's going to need to be... Co-creation. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, in the beginning you said, or halfway, you said, I'm not sure that co-production is in this pot uh, because we are talking about sustainability mm -hmm. <laughs> the link is quite uh, there is a, a big link i i think there is a big link between sustainability and co-production i think if we don't co-produce we don't get sustained quality that's my yeah. my point of view i think it's a great hypothesis to test <laughs> okay uh, yeah. I, I think that it's likely true so how can we test that, do you think? Well, we're, that's what we're getting at with this study. Uh, we need a whole different measurement approach, mm. in, in my view, yeah. to do this. We can't apply production-based measurement methods that we have used in the past no. to adequately assess co-production. Mm. Because that would be kind of like treating, like if I have an elastic band treating me like a nail that I have to hit with a hammer. Yeah. And we can't assess the elastics capability with a hammer. No, we need no. some other method. Um, and that means going back to the actual conceptual model itself and saying what are the domains of quality and value for co-produced healthcare systems. Mm -hmm. And like you said, it has to be co-designed from that level up with patients and families involved. And this study will have that, uh, as well as high-level executive leaders and financial people mm -hmm. and clinical leaders, mm -hmm. but everybody with an equal voice. And I suspect that the, the metrics that we develop are going to look very different oh, than well. what we had before. Looking very much forward to this study and to these metrics. Yeah, me too. Yeah, so thank you very much for being here and hope to see you next year again. And then we take part two and see what's happening in a year. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much. This podcast is made by Kulturum Design and Learning Center in Sweden.